Hello, welcome to this podcast for Cambridge Health Tech Institute's Fast Congress on Functional Analysis and Screening Technologies, happening this October 28th through the 30th in the Boston, Massachusetts area at Le Meridian at Cambridge MIT. I'm Anne Wynn, an associate conference producer for this event. We have today one of our speakers for the Engineering Functional 3D Tissue Models meeting, Dr. Jonathan Garlick. Professor of Oral Pathology at the School of Dental Medicine at Tufts University, Director of the Center for Integrated Tissue Engineering, and Professor at Tufts School of Medicine, School of Engineering, and Sackler School of Graduate Biomedical Sciences. Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. As we just said, um, at Tufts, your affiliations encompass biomedical sciences, dental medicine, as well as tissue engineering. Can you describe your research across these affiliations, um, how it fits into these areas, and how it ties all of them together? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. And most interestingly and and appropriately, uh, the unifying link is really in the use of 3D tissues, which uh, is the topic of, uh, of the day and the topic for the, the, uh, for the conference. Uh, I work at the interface of tissue engineering and stem cell biology. And as such, uh, the topics that I work on apply broadly uh, across tissue types and across disease states. So it's actually very easy to integrate all of these disciplines and perspectives and affiliations by linking them together through uh, the 3D tissue technology, which is a highly interdisciplinary effort that uh, combines tissue engineering, um, stem cells, uh, scaffolds, and uh, cell biology in a, uh, in a complex and integrated way. And the fields that are linked in this way are my main areas of research, which include uh, stem cell biology, and uh, our efforts are really uh, designed to understand uh, the behavior of adult stem cells from a large variety of tissues, including skin, oral mucosa, other stratified epithelial tissues, as well as uh, very interesting uh, and diverse stem cells that are actually reprogrammed from adult cells that are called induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSC. And the goal of this, uh, of this research is really to create optimal three-dimensional human-like tissues that allow us to study the biology of stem cells in a most meaningful biological tissue microenvironment. And the most meaningful environment through which to do that is to create tissues that mimic their human counterparts using tissue engineering technologies. We use these to study disease by creating disease models that mimic human disease very closely in these tissues. And we also use this as a platform technology um, for uh, translational research, meaning uh, we can use these tissues to provide more reliable correlations between uh, laboratory studies and clinical outcomes. Um, And in fact, uh, we've been able to leverage this technology to uh, accelerate the decision to proceed with clinical trials based on testing uh, both efficacy and safety of candidate drugs or molecules. And these tissues have a significantly higher predictive value uh, for screening uh, and can predict the success of these potential drugs in clinical trials 
considerably more than 3D than uh, than 2D cell-based assays can. So, as you can see from the broad applicability of 3D tissues, it's actually uh, very uh, meaningful to connect and link these affiliations and uh, integrate these disciplines uh, across these tissue types and disease states. Absolutely. And um, can you go back a little bit and share a historical overview of the engineering of functional 3D tissue models across, say, the last 10 years or so? So what's interesting is that the, um, the trajectory over the last 10 years has been very dramatic. Um, and there is a critical mass of science that's been generated um, at the interface of the fields of regenerative medicine, cell biology, tissue engineering, that brought uh, people together about a decade ago, and they were able to generate uh, some primitive 3D models. And if you look at the trajectory of how these models have evolved over time, it's been extremely dramatic. And the field is now primed for the complexity that can be built into these model systems and can make them even more in vivo-like and human-like and even more robust. But what's, what's been interesting is that the CHI meetings uh, in these disciplines have really paralleled this trajectory and paralleled this development in that these meetings have always been a very important and very dynamic interface for new collaborations uh, and provided an opportunity for crosstalk between academicians, um, um, industry, pharma, biotech, as well as innovators that were interested in uh, integrating their disciplines uh, through this evolving technology. And what's been, uh, what's been really interesting is that uh, there's been a... Uh, a decade of basic science research that has revealed that the tissue microenvironment is a critical factor in our understanding of human development, cancer progression, stem cell biology. And, and there really is no question at this point through the evolution of, uh, the historical evolution of the field of functional 3D tissue models in the last decade that uh, this has only been possible by the development of 3D tissue models that mimic disease states because these dynamic interactions uh, that are revealed in this three-dimensional tissue context are not revealed using simple two-dimensional uh, cell-based assays or even animal systems for that matter. So the fabrication and application of these three-dimensional surrogate tissues uh, has evolved to the point where they can now serve as a preclinical setting to uh, dramatically advance the identification and validation of potential therapeutic targets that can accelerate uh, the development of these translational products for future clinical applications. And what we've seen, especially in the last few years, is that the use of, the, of these 3D tissue technologies and platforms is having a growing impact on uh, drug discovery and drug validation uh, for the determination of both uh, efficacy and early safety reads uh, that are uh, critical in the development of, uh, of new drugs. Uh, but I think one last point that, that's really fascinating is that over the course of these 10 years, what we've seen evolve is that there are now 
very clear unifying principles that allow optimization of multiple tissue types, different tissue types in these 3D tissue formats. And what's happened through the evolution of these technologies is that the critical and unifying factors that create supportive tissue microenvironments for specific tissue types have been elucidated, and uh, these now inform how to uh, scale these tissues and allow them to be broadly uh, applicable to a, a large variety of uh, discovery and development applications. It's been actually incredibly exciting uh, to watch this unfold. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing, actually. It sounds like we're at a really good point where um, a lot of these areas can come together and um, make something uh, useful out of it. Yeah, the synergies have been um, incredible. And as we love to say in science, uh, the field has developed in uh, unpredictable and uh, unexpected ways that have created some new synergies that... Uh, have advanced the field, and I think have really leveraged uh, expertise in cell biology, breakthroughs in stem cell biology, um, molecular biology, uh, tissue engineering breakthroughs to bring together uh, fields that can coalesce around the need to create biologically relevant three-dimensional tissue microenvironments that are going to mimic their in vivo counterparts to a significant degree. And it's been very exciting to watch that unfold over the last decade. And uh, as I said before, the CHI has certainly played a role in bringing those communities together. Well, glad that you found these, uh, these meetings of ours rewarding. I would say more than rewarding. I've had many opportunities to establish new collaborations, especially with industry. It, there's an informal atmosphere. We have uh, opportunities to have think tank sessions where uh, we can brainstorm with each other, uh, and, you know, at the larger meetings, while the science is always incredibly compelling, we really don't have an opportunity to roll up our sleeves and actually problem-solve and use critical thinking processes to figure out how we can uh, combine expertise. Um, certainly industry, biotech, and pharma have a critical role to play in bringing these models into the, uh, into the fore. And uh, the CHI has always been a place where I've developed collaborations, written grants with people that I've met from these meetings, and uh, it's really been uh, uh, a very important part of how we've envisioned using these 3D tissues um, for a large number of companies, both in drug discovery and product development. That's fantastic. Now, what are some of your lab's experimental methods for developing three-dimensional bioengineered tissues? And um, how do you ensure that they're actually functionally and structurally similar enough to real human tissues and organs to actually be useful for study? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And we constantly are pushing the envelope to create contexts, microenvironments that are going to provide not only the structure, but also the function of uh, tissues that have similar and overlapping structure, namely uh, human skin, the oral mucosa, and uh, other stratified epithelial tissues. And the way we do this is we try to create supportive microenvironments for each cell type and each tissue type that we incorporate into these complex tissues and provide just enough growth support, support for specialization, differentiation in these tissues 
to allow cell types to manifest their in vivo-like behavior. And if we give them just the right amount of stimulation, what we find is that the tissue themselves do all the work, meaning we provide them with scaffold support, media support, and then we get out of the way. Basically, we let the tissues condition the environment themselves, and rather than providing the outside exogenous factors, for example, in the media, we uh, allow the cells to make their own endogenous growth factors. And it's that crosstalk between multiple cell types and multiple tissue compartments that actually optimizes the tissue. So our understanding and insight into how we develop these bioengineered tissues is to create the right conditions so that the cells can manifest their in vivo behavior. There's a dramatic difference between that and what happens in a two-dimensional tissue, um, meaning cell culture that's conventionally grown on plastic. The way we grow cells on plastic is usually in a very high serum environment, and we give the cells a growth stimulus. We hit them with a proliferative stimulus with factors in high serum. But in reality, uh, stem cells in our tissues and our body proliferate very infrequently. So if we want to mimic those growth conditions in a tissue that will simulate what's happening in stem cells in our own tissues, we actually need to come way down on the amount of serum that we use. And we use very little serum, just enough to allow the cells that are present there to make their own stimulatory factors. And then, as I said before, we get out of the way. And then the second response is that we have uh, a very clear set of benchmarks that we assess at the end of the experiment where we look for not only markers that are associated with specialization, differentiation, uh, the behaviors of particular cell types, but we have uh, functional readouts that ensure that these cells have undergone full, normal differentiation and development. And for example, in skin, we want to make sure that these cells manifest barrier function. We want to make sure that these cells have a limited amount of transepidermal water loss. Uh, so we characterize a panel of markers that are going to tell us something about the growth rate, the localization of apoptotic cells, cell cell adhesion markers, cell basement membrane adhesion markers, and markers that are associated with strata-specific differentiation in these tissues. So ultimately, our goal is to uh, provide the right conditions that I would say are minimalistic and allow us to mimic both the form and function of the native tissue. What are some of the challenges you still face when trying to mimic specific tissues and organs? And what obstacles, technological or otherwise, do you anticipate before this practice becomes more prevalent? Yeah, so that's something that keeps us up every night. And uh, we uh, contemplate that a good deal because while we have evolved from some of the more primitive tissues into tissues that have many of the components of, of these tissues in vivo, we still, have to, uh, we still have many challenges that are ahead of us. And I'll just cite just a few of those. So the first thing we love to do is we love to increase the degree of complexity. 
meaning um, there's no question that the incorporation of, of a variety of cell types and complex structures would add significantly to the utility of these tissues. So, for example, we make our skin with two main cell types, with the fibroblasts and with epithelial cells. But, for example, you can picture uh, incorporating a microvascular network or microfluidic channels that are needed to be built into the tissues so, and functionalized so they could uh, be uh, able to, uh, to be tuned by control of fluid flow through these channels or through this microvasculature and would provide a much more uh, in vivo-like construct. Uh, this is being done uh, extremely well uh, by the Wies Institute, uh, who have uh, developed some remarkable platforms for what is known as organs on chips. Uh, they have uh, some brilliant systems for uh, integrating multiple um, three-dimensional tissue types for a variety of different screening functions, and uh, that is clearly um, the vision for the future, and uh, I think that they are meeting those, uh, meeting those challenges extremely well. Uh, I just mentioned a couple of other challenges that we faced. One is uh, it's very important to scale up these tissue models so we can have them in a high-throughput format. Uh, certainly these are being done with organs on chips, which are making miniature tissues, but uh, if uh, these platforms are going to be broadly applicable as uh, uh, for screening, uh, for disease target identification, validation, and interrogation for drug and product discovery. Uh, they'll need to be scaled up into much higher throughputs, uh, for example, 96-well, 256-well formats that could be made for uh, both normal cells, for cancerous cells, uh, disease cells, and I think that will enable the rapid global screening of tissue responses uh, for the broadest uh, product testing and, and drug development communities. Uh, ideally, we could envision these high-throughput formats being adaptable to some of the uh, robotized genomic and proteomic screening facilities that are currently available in pharma and in the biotech community. Uh, these assays are currently performed using monolayer 2D cell-based assay systems, and uh, these uh, more primitive cell-based assay systems need to be um, integrated with uh, the synergies that can be revealed through uh, uh, 3D tissue uh, applications. Another challenge for the future is to find ways that we can develop and optimize what I would call disease-specific or pathway-specific customized 3D tissues. In other words, uh, we will be able to construct 3D tissues uh, that are prepared with either genetic modification, either shRNA, dominant negative constructs, or reporter constructs that will allow us to enhance the interrogation of specific pathways or, uh, for example, might provide uh, a novel readout uh, in the ADMI-TOX setting for screening. Uh, at the most, uh, at the, currently, we have uh, 3D tissues that are available, but they're really not tailored to specific investigational needs, and I think the broader research community would benefit uh, greatly uh, by uh, developing these uh, 3D screening tools and resources that would be disease-specific or pathway-specific, and that should not be difficult to do. Uh, another, and I would say, uh, significant opportunity and challenge is to develop uh, surrogate 3D tissue models that 
uh, could be used for personalized medicine. Uh, imagine if we could develop 3D tissues um, that are derived from specific individuals, for example, from a primary cancer, uh, where you could grow those cells out and retain the identity of those uh, cultured cells in a 3D tissue environment. Uh, we need to establish proof of concept for the feasibility of developing a personalized tissue that could be used as a, uh, a person-specific uh, screening platform that would allow us to screen for specific uh, disease phenotypes and even to screen for drugs that would be targeted to a specific patient tumor. I know that there is discussion and, and that there are uh, assays that have been developed in the 2D context, but imagine the power of developing a personalized tissue that could then be used uh, to screen specific disease phenotypes that would allow uh, therapies to be targeted to an individual or uh, to groups of individuals. And I think uh, that's one of the great challenges as we develop uh, new technologies that have more of a personalized impact. So a lot of, a lot of exciting stuff out there. Definitely. And uh, finally, uh, what will be the focus of your presentation at the FAST Congress's Engineering Functional 3D Tissue Models meeting on October 28th? So, yeah, I'm glad you asked me that question because I'm very excited about the work that's ongoing in our lab now, and uh, I certainly want to share that with the audience at the meeting. Uh, so I'm going to call this talk uh, from IPSC, from Induced Pluripotent Stem Cells to 3D Skin Equivalents, uh, Dynamic Platforms to Study Human Disease. And this, uh, this talk uh, encapsulates uh, some of our uh, most recent work that links uh, cells derived from induced pluripotent stem cells to 3D tissue models of disease that can give us an opportunity to both study uh, the phenotypes of cells after they've been differentiated and developed from induced pluripotent stem cells in a biologically meaningful tissue context. This can then be used as a disease model. It can be used as a model to understand the behavior of cell types differentiated from IPSC and actually use our 3D tissues as a functional readout uh, to help us understand how uh, cells derived from IPSC behave in a true tissue context. If you take those cells, most people take IPS-derived cells and screen them and test them in rudimentary two-dimensional culture systems on plastic. Well, what I'm going to show is that you can take these cells and differentiate them using conventional techniques, but then screen them, test their function in a three-dimensional tissue context, and the information that we can glean from that is significantly greater. So why I'm excited about this is that uh, just this year, uh, Shinya Yamanaka received the Nobel Prize in medicine for developing uh, these induced pluripotent stem cells. And uh, in 2006, uh, he and his team were able to reboot, and we do use the word reboot, but it's actually reprogramming cells uh, from skin back to an embryonic-like state. And they did this by adding four genes to the cells. And the resulting cells, what was exciting about this, they acquired the ability to develop into all cell types, meaning they acquired uh, pluripotency that uh, seems to have equivalence, and this needs to be studied further, but seems to have equivalence to embryonic stem cells in terms of their potential therapeutic value. So our approach that I'm going to talk about is how we're using 
these induced pluripotent stem cell technologies and linking them to 3D tissues that mimic human skin to study whether we can reverse the properties of cells that are derived from chronic wounds and revert them from a non-healing cell type to a healing cell type after reverting them to IPS, differentiating them back into a fibroblast and then putting these cells into a skin-like tissue to see whether or not they've acquired properties that are associated with healing. So what we're excited about is that we can take cells, primary cells, from a chronic diabetic foot ulcer, and these foot ulcers uh, have been treated with many therapies, but these therapies, for the most part, are only successful in roughly half the cases, half the cases and um, the ulcers um, in these diabetic patients uh, have a high recurrence rate. So our strategy is to um, take cells derived from these patients' wounds to revert them back to an induced pluripotent stem cell state and then to differentiate them again into fibroblasts. And then I'm going to show how we can use these fibroblasts derived from IPS and uh, incorporate them into 3D tissue models to learn about their behavior. The other fascinating point of, of this work is that uh, we can study the epigenome of our cells that are derived from induced pluripotent stem cells. And the epigenome is, I guess you can think of it as a set of, uh, of bookmarks that highlight certain sections of DNA and allow specific genes to turn on as a cell develops. So by selecting which genes uh, can be activated at a given time, uh, we hope to be able to direct cells from induced pluripotent stem cells into uh, a foot fibroblast that, through epigenetic regulation, after uh, it's developed into an IPS, to recalibrate the expression of genes by manipulating the epigenome and to allow these cells to manifest a healing phenotype that would revert them from their previous non-healing state. And what I'm going to describe is that the best way to test the properties of cells derived from induced pluripotent stem cells is to incorporate them into a 3D tissue environment that will allow us to establish whether or not this manipulation of the epigenome through an IPS state uh, can effectively treat chronic wounds in patients. And we'll develop ways, um, how we've developed ways to test whether or not that's feasible. That's fantastic. And um, I can tell that you're excited about talking about it in uh, the next uh, couple of months. Absolutely. I'll talk to anybody that's interested in learning about the incredible potency of induced pluripotent stem cells. And what we're learning about uh, how we can manipulate the epigenome to uh, try to create uh, healthy cells from diseased cells. Wonderful. And um, thanks so much for your time today. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to your talk and the event, and I'm glad that uh, you are too. And uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us today and giving um, a very thorough glimpse into your 3D tissue model work. Yeah, I would say that I'm, I'm more than looking forward to it. I'm really excited because I know uh, when I come to this meeting, I always meet people that broaden my horizons as well. So 
I'm excited about the community uh, that assembles at this meeting, and I'm looking forward to some very stimulating discussions. Really glad to hear that. Thank you, Jonathan. Okay, thank you again. Bye-bye. Again, that was Jonathan Garlick of Tufts University, right here in Boston. He'll be speaking on Monday afternoon, October 28th, during the Engineering Functional 3D Tissue Models meeting for this year's Functional Analysis and Screening Technologies, or FAST, Congress, this October 28th through the 30th in the Boston area at Cambridge's Le Meridian Cambridge MIT Hotel. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. This is Anne Wynn for Cambridge Health Tech Institute. Thanks for listening.